Hey everybody, it is Thursday, April 5th, and this is Rafael Garcia back for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast, and I want to first and foremost thank you for joining me on tonight's show. As always, please be sure to like and subscribe to the MMA Ratings channel, where you can find our show uh, every Thursday, just about, where it's usually myself and my partner, Shawan Humes, here to talk all things mixed martial arts. Unfortunately, today is just me, as my boy Shawan is caught up with some uh, personal business, so it'll be just me talking to you here probably about for the next hour, probably longer, because we got so much shit to talk about today, and, and this has been one hell of a week. It's been one hell of a day just by itself um i don't even it's kind of crazy like i'm just gonna go ahead and just start with what we saw a few hours back where conor mcgregor crashed the ufc 223 media date and caused rose all type of shit where he started to throw items at the bus where khabib namarco made off and his team and a couple other fighters were leaving the media event causing others to still be stuck there causing just a whole bunch of commotion and there's just so much that we can take from there because there's this this is a huge story that i think deserves uh ample coverage but we're going to come back to that because there's so much that we're going to talk about that kind of led up to that situation well as you are all well aware by this point in time uh the tony ferguson versus khabib Nurmagomedov fight is off and Ferguson has now been replaced by Max Holloway. And as if the situation could not get any more, uh, I guess weird is the word I will use, this news broke on April Fool's Day, so it came in a way where everyone was questioning whether or not it was true. Unfortunately, as Adam Martin wrote for MMA Ratings this week, the MMA gods just will not allow us to have nice things. As once again, this fight was um, was basically booked um, for the fifth time, and now it's off once again. So now, and now it's like it's it's just it's it's just fucked up. So, so now we're um, completely without that fight, and losing that fight put us in a situation where UFC president Dana White basically said that he's not going to try to book it again. So after time and time again, this legit may go down as one of the greatest fights that we have, we could have seen, but never saw, especially with the multiple lead-ups, the multiple uh, bouts being signed, the multiple fallings out, and, and, they, and they always came under the weirdest situations so close to the fight, and I really hope that we do get to a point that we see this happen in some shape or form when these guys are still at their best, when they're still at their prime. I hope that we get to see this fight because there's so many different questions that needed to be answered. Well, for Ferguson, he injured himself earlier this week during an interview event where he was, or during a media event where he was leaving an interview, trips over a camera cord and tears his LCL. So think about that. Of all the odd ways that an athlete could get hurt, this is right up there with them. When I was listening to individuals talk about it today, it made me think of the baseball player who, um, who have so many baseball players who have gone through such odd um, injuries. Like, for example, uh, Kevin Pillar from the Blue Jays. This was back in 2015. He actually injured himself sneezing. There's another baseball player who 
I think was having a bad dream about spiders, falls out of the bed and crashes through a glass table and tears his arm up. So this this injury goes right up there with all of them. But now we have Ferguson who's out of the fight and who's basically the odd man out because Dana White has said that he's taking that interim title away from him and the winner of this weekend's bout will be the uh, UFC lightweight champion. And then what we see now is we see Max Holloway who comes up from 145 after stepping out of the fight at USC? I guess it was 222. I can't remember what the what the card number was, but where he was supposed to fight Frankie Edgar, he injures he gets injured. I think it was his foot or his foot or his shin, and he has forces himself out of that fight. So he takes this fight on about six days' notice. Has to figure out how he's going to make weight because uh, George Lockhart said this is going to be a massive weight cut for him. So he has that situation to deal with. And he has to figure out how he can answer the question that the incorrect Khabib Nurmagomedov that no one has been able to answer to date. All of that is the situation that we're dealing with right now. And it's funny because I was, as I was, was heading home today, I was thinking about the situation. I'm like, man, there's one guy who should, who should really be pissed off about this matter is probably Frankie Edgar. Because think about it. Frankie had an opportunity to fight for the featherweight title. Max Holloway pulls out. And Frankie being the guy he is like, you know, I want to stay on his car. So he takes the fight with Brian Ortega. Gets KO'd in the first round. So now he's well out of the title picture, in my opinion. And then he and then he has to see that Holloway steps in on, what was it, three Three, maybe not even four weeks later, steps in being prepared to fight for the lightweight title. So this is this is a situation that just muddies the water across so many different ponds that it, it's crazy. And there's so much to kind of dissect here. So the situation that we saw today occurred because um, Artem Lobov, who is McGregor's teammate, got into a verbal altercation with Khabib Nurmagomedov during one of the earlier media events this week. And supposedly he was surrounded by um, Nurmagomedov and his people and it, and it got kind of ugly, but there was no, there were no punches thrown. There was just words thrown back and forth. So what is being said is that McGregor then hops a charter flight, flies over to the, to this event. And we see, we saw what occurred today. And then there's a fallout. The glass that broke on the bus cut Michael Kiesa. If you go to um, MMA Junkie, I think their Instagram profile right now has a video playing of the whole situation from inside the bus. And you can hear Michael Kiesa talking about his face being cut open. He basically says he doesn't want to touch it, but he can feel that he's bleeding. So now Michael Kiesa is a question mark because we don't know if he's going to fight on Saturday. Artem Lobov, uh, Dana White said that he's pulled off of the car and for a minute there everyone was concerned about Rose Namajunas because she said she was so shaken up that she wasn't sure if she was going to compete thankfully uh, as of earlier today I think it was probably about 4 or 4.35 o'clock it was confirmed that she is still in for this car but this these actions by McGregor could have impacted what was it three fights and caused multiple people to lose out on thousands of dollars and we know how important every single payday is within mixed martial arts because fighters aren't getting paid a lot of money to begin with so to hear that these men and women could have been financially impacted by his reckless actions it just it, it says so much to me and to listen to Dana White talk about how upset he was how these are criminal actions this is assault blah 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 this is a real uh I guess this is a this is a true test for the UFC to see how they're going to respond 
to all this. I mean, this has been a crazy week. It's been a crazy day because this is this is just like the scratching of the surface. We haven't even really talked about the importance of these fights that are going on this weekend. This is just like the basic start of it. So, man, like that, that's that, and we haven't even gotten in such so much news has broken today that in this past week that it's just it, I gotta kind of take a step back because I I, I want to look at everywhere to start. So first and foremost, you know we're gonna talk UFC 223. As always, want to look at some of the main fights that are that stand out to me and Schwan for this week, and I'm going to talk about those. Uh, I want to talk about Bellator 196 as well because that has a big main event that I think a lot of people are interested in tomorrow, where we have Benson Benson Henderson and Roger Huerta fighting on that card on Friday night. And I also wanted to talk about some of the news from this week, as we saw uh, UFC President Dana White has confirmed that. Uh, Brock Lesnar is returning to the UFC, and you know, everyone is well aware that he is, um, he's performing in WrestleMania this Sunday. We're going to talk about that news story in a second, but also, as I was setting up for tonight's show, I saw that CM Punk has been confirmed for UFC, what is this, uh, 225 in um, Chicago, and he's fighting Mike Jackson, if you, don't, if you remember, Mike Jackson is the guy that Mickey Gall defeated for the opportunity to fight uh, Phil Brooks. Mike Jackson is the photographer, I believe he is. I think he's a media photographer that has some minor uh, fight background. So yeah, that's that story right there deserves its own um, its own coverage, and we're, we're, we're going to talk about that too. But let's focus on UFC 223 first, and let's talk about this fight. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about was Ferguson's withdrawal and his response. Um, this is a serious situation for him because losing that interim title and losing this opportunity to become the, the legit champion takes away a lot from him. A, it takes away the opportunity of a fight with Conor McGregor. Yes, regardless of what I'm going to say about him later on and, and his antics and what I've said about him in the past, we all understand that he is the money fight within mixed martial arts and people are rightfully so lining up for the opportunity to fight him. Well, now, Ferguson has completely lost that. So he's not only out of this this weekend's fight, he's out of this weekend's payday. We don't know, A, we don't know the extent of his injury. B, we don't know if uh, Dana White's ever going to put him back in that position to main event, to headline in such a way that he can get back to this type of uh, opportunity in, in the near future. We don't know how far it's going to um how, how long it's going to take him to get back to that point. You know, there is a bit of confidence that we see the UFC places in fighters when they put them in these main event situations. And when fighters mess mess up, and I'm doing that in air quotes, we see those opportunities come few and far between. Take Amanda Nunez as an example. When she pulled out of the fight against Valentina uh, Shevchenko, I doubt is that they're ever going to put her back in a main event slot unless if it's against uh, Cyborg. So we have that situation there. But you have to kind of feel for Ferguson in this situation because, as I mentioned, this was his time to make what probably would be his biggest payday to date. And now he's out of that, and we don't know what the future is going to be for him. If you look at the Instagram post he put up uh, when he was kind of announcing the situation and telling everybody what happened, um, people went in. And you know how disgusting like the social, the social sphere is and like the comment section on Instagram or replies or Facebook posts. We know how bad those situations get. And 
this is a matter of just a yet another example as Ferguson found himself uh, getting land blasted on his social media post. So I'm in intrigued to see what will happen with him next and how long he will be out. Then uh, I want to talk about this, the impact of this fight on Max Holloway in 145 and in, in 145 pound division. Now for Holloway, a lot of people aren't picking him to win this fight, which is understandably so. You're facing one of the toughest fighters in the sport today, and you're facing him on six days' notice. Holloway's a G. That's about as gangster as it will ever get. Not being afraid to step up to such a test on last-minute notice and not being afraid of the, the damage that this may do to his legacy. It's like he recognizes that, but he speaks of this situation as this is the moment this is where stars are born. This is where, in mixed martial arts at least, this is where guys step up and they become legends. And he's correct. If he pulls off a win on Saturday, it opens a door for him in ways that he probably would have taken years to get to. He would be a double champion. He would have both of the previous titles that Conor McGregor had because Conor McGregor is now officially stripped. He's no longer the UFC lightweight uh, champion. So now Holloway would have both of those belts and that's almost sets up the perfect fight against um, against McGregor in the future. There's no telling when or if that will happen now but that's the scenario that everyone will be clamoring for if he finds a way to come out of Saturday's main event as the lightweight champion. But that is a big if. And it's a big if because there are, I mean, a lot. there's been a lot being made this week about Holloway's takedown defense, which has been substantially better than it was when he came into the, um, came into the UFC. I think he has been taken down one time since the fight where he lost to Conor McGregor, which is amazing when you look at some of the people he's fought. He's fought against people that are effective MMA grapplers and effective MMA wrestlers, and he stays on his feet, keeps the fight where he wants it um, to be. So that is going to be an interesting story. I believe at some point in time, Khabib's going to get this fight down to the ground because that's what he does, and he does it in such a way that it's all, it's, it's, it's so relentless that there is, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Especially when he gets his, his grips around you. And you, he's shown that he's willing to take a shot or two. But what scares me, and I'm using scare in air quotes, me of this situation here is that what I do not want to see is I don't want to see Holloway take such a battering that it hinders his long-term development. We've seen him grow so much over the past few years that he's facing someone who can literally beat him to a point where he will never be the same. I'm concerned about what Edson Barbosa will look like coming back in his fight. He has Kevin Lee next in a couple of weeks. And I'm looking at the way he took that beating from Khabib a couple months back. And it's like, man, is he coming back too fast? Is he going to be the same type of fighter that he was before the fight against Nemargo Madoff. I'm skeptical of that, and I don't want to see Holloway get put in the same situation, especially after we see him in such a, in, in a situation where he has so much long-term promise. And this fight not only impacts him and his legacy, what we may see from him in years down the line, but it also impacts Brian Ortega as well. He was also in the news this week, as he mentioned that he was one of the individuals that 
was um, approached about taking this fight last minute. And he said he responded yes, but uh, it was lost in translation as the UFC was responding to uh, Max Holloway. So, you know, he could have, this, this could have been him that we're talking about. He could be the guy stepping into to, uh, facing the Mario Madoff. I think that, that's a different type of fight, just as intriguing to me, but it's a different type of fight. But now he's on, on, on the back burner waiting for what may be next because we don't know again we don't know what Holloway is going to look like coming into this fight we don't know what this massive weight cut is going to do to him to do to him physically and we don't know what may happen against um Khabib Nurmagomedov yes he may win and we may not have to answer that question in the same fashion he may get his hand raised he may be a dual champion and he's talked openly about um about defending both belts so he is already in a position he's already putting himself in a position talking that talk but man if anyone is the type of fighter that beats the life out of people it's Namargo Madoff and we've seen this with a lot of guys before like if you look at I'm going to use Johnny Hathaway for, for, for an example Johnny Hathaway was a guy who had a lot of potential was looking really was looking really good um, especially like back when he fought Mike Pyle, but look what happened after him and Dong Young Kim had that knockdown, drag out fight. He was never the same. I don't think he's actually fought since that fight. And he talked about, I, I, there was actually a piece I read about Hathaway uh, not too long ago where he talked about the injuries that just kept mounting up after that fight against Dong Young Kim. And that is the type of damage that we see guys go through and they're just never the same again. Shogun Hua after he fought John Jones. There's another example. Never the same again. Um, Chuck Congo after that fight with uh, Pat Berry. Again, never the same again, even though he won that fight. And I'm really concerned about what Holloway will look like coming out of Saturday's main event. Again, like I said, he may pick up a win one way or another, but he also may take a beating that shaves some years off of his uh, career. And at such a young age, at such seeing him, his rise occur so quickly, that's something that I don't want to see happen to him or anyone else uh, within the sport. So one of the other bullet points I wanted to talk about was how this fight impacted Conor McGregor. But now that conversation is so different now because his actions today almost trump anything that was in the plans for him in the future because what happens now is we I, we literally do not know all we know is that he uh excuse me all we know is that he basically was a shoo-in for a big fight at some point in time this year uh dana white was talking about guaranteeing that he's coming back in 2018 but now we have i mean we have a track record of him as a fighter with all these antics outside the cage we have the situation back in bellator we have so many different moments when you look at it and you have to wonder you have the situation with nick diaz throwing when they were throwing bottles at, at the presser but this is something that can't be spun in a positive light especially if like let's say Kiesa gets injured or he, or he is injured so much so that he can't fight on Saturday. Well now you have Michael Kiesa and Anthony Pettis who are without a fight on 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 Saturday and knowing the UFC and their policy and the way they've treated fighters in the past, neither one of those guys may get paid. That doesn't look good on Conor on Conor McGregor. Artem Lobov 
he's not fighting this weekend. Guess what? That means Alex Caceres isn't fighting as well. Are, are those guys going to get paid? That's another black eye on McGregor and his antics as well. We almost lost the co-main event too. So all of these situations have got to add up to some sort of repercussions for Connor, whether you are a big fan of his or not. And I've seen fans of him on social media talking about this as if it's nothing. No, it's definitely something. I, um, uh, Ariel Hawani on MMA Beat today was comparing it to the Ron Artest situation uh, from years ago. And man, that like there, I can remember the commentary around Ron Artest and Steven Jackson back then. I would hate to see if that happened around nowadays and with McGregor you have to wonder when will the commentary change when will this these these antics and these um his behavior no longer be okay imagine if this was Kevin Lee he'd be cut hell I talked about this I think it was last month when Shawan and I was talking about how the Tyron Woodley Dana White situation Dana has cut fighters for so much less so much less I mean he cut Miguel Torres for the rape van joke. He cut Paul Daly for punching Josh Koscheck in the face after the bell. Cut Jason High for pushing the referee. Uh, cut Anthony Johnson for weight issues. Um, cut Gerald Harris for one bad fight. He's cut so many fighters from the roster from so much less. And I understand that McGregor is a cash cow. He is money for this organization. And now that Ronda Rousey's gone, and even though Brock Lesnar is coming back, he's still the number one uh, generator for this organization. And, and this situation, I'm not even going to lie, it makes a potential fight against Kavino Magomedov even bigger. No matter where they put it, they put it in New York, they put it in Ireland, they put it in Russia, wherever they want to go. That makes that fight a massive draw that I guarantee you they're probably going to reap some benefits off of. Uh, in the future, maybe at some point in time this year, because I doubt that they're going to take actual like fine or punishment action against him. But where I am concerned is that, yes, he had some strong words for McGregor today during the uh, during the immediate fallout when he was talking about uh, the situation, calling him, you know, these are criminal actions, blah, blah, blah. But he's had, uh, he being Dana White, has had some much harsher words for other fighters who have done a lot less. Look at the way he talks about John Jones. Look at the way he's talked about Tyron Woodley this year. He talks about them in such a way where you would think that they were the ones out here causing some of the causing these scenes, causing these um, actions, being out here injuring other fighters, um, threatening other fights on on a card just because your teammate was insulted that doesn't i mean he's got he's the king of trash talking and in fact and so much so that he's kind of inspired a generation of trash talkers across the sport but did what what occurred on earlier this week with margo madoff and artem Loboff, did it deserve this type of response because we don't we still don't know what the fallout is going to be from um from this altercation that happened at the media day and to make it even worse this doesn't look good on any of us across the sport because at the end of the day if well ESP might cover it a little differently but at the end of the day uh, this is not a good look for the sport of MMA because they look like a bunch of ruffians call, call it what you want it but they look like a whole lot of um, 
ignorant fools out there running around throwing uh, dollies at the at a moving bus and stuff like that. That just needs to be properly properly analyzed, and you have to wonder how can you sit here and support that and not call not call it into question as a um, as as a, as a true problem like that that that's my concern. What would the re, the reaction be if this was a a black fighter? I'm gonna go ahead and say it. What would the reaction be? It wouldn't be anything positive. No one would have anything good to say. Everyone would probably be flipping out, and he would probably already be cut. To be honest with you, he or she, whoever it may be, they'd be already be out of the organization. So I think that it'll be interesting to see how the UFC responds to this whole matter. With all that being said, though. We still have to talk about this uh, main event fight with Namargo Madoff and Holloway. I'm I'm intrigued. I'm really intrigued here. Uh, I think that Namargo Madoff said something interesting to me, or not excuse me, not to me. He said something interesting this week as the uh, media days was going by, where he compared Holloway to Edson Barbosa, and I get what he was saying. He was talking basically talking about. Barbosa's movement and like the strategy that he has to put into place in order to win this fight. For Holloway, he has to stay on his feet, has to piece him up on his feet. He's, he is the better striker. We are aware of that. But he has to be able to use his movement to control range and to keep his back off off the cage. Namargo Madoff is very, very adept at getting fighters to back up to the black line get them against the cage. The minute he gets his hands around you, you're going down in some some sort of fashion. And what's interesting is if you look at his takedown uh, accuracy at on fightmetric.com, he doesn't have a high takedown accuracy. It's because he attempts so many takedowns one after the other, after the other, after the other. I think he attempts, I think his average is like almost two or three per round. That says a lot. Because it's the same thing as if you think about someone who is, who is a volume striker. A lot of these guys are able to overwhelm their uh, opponents because of like the amount of volume that, that they throw. We see, we see, we've seen the Diaz brothers do that for years. Namargo Madoff is in the same boat because he has the ability to overwhelm people with his takedown attempts. So the question now becomes, how long can Holloway keep the fight on his feet? Can he keep it on, the, on his feet for two rounds? At that case, we may see him in a much better situation if he can keep it on, if he can keep it on the fight for three. Hey, he may be well on his way to win this fight. Me personally, I think he will not be able to do that. Um, he may pop back up from the first two or three in round two, but it's or excuse me, in round one. But it's those takedowns that keep coming in rounds two, three, four, and five that make this fight much more dangerous. Because what we see from the Mago Madoff is the minute he gets you down, he passes, and he doesn't pass to a super dominant dominant position he may stay in half guard and use that to hold you down and blood bludgeon you with shots we've seen him do that but that is a dangerous position that you don't want to be in i mean again i can keep picturing edson barbosa's face as he's getting shots rained down on him time and time and time again that is the type of beating that i do not want to see Max Holloway taking hell. I was um, talking to Shawan about this after that fight between uh, Barbosa and Marco Manoff on whether or not Barbosa's corner should have thrown in the, the, the towel. That's the type of damage that Marco Madoff does to people after the first takedown attempt. It's not the first one. And that's usually, and usually when I teach wrestling, I always tell my uh, 
classes that is not the first takedown attempt that usually gets the job done. It's that second and third. You got to be able to chain them together, chain them together, chain them together. It's that second or third that gets the takedown because you get your opponent moving off balance. You off balance in one direction, take him the next, take him the other direction, take him the other direction. Margot Midoff is key at that. And I mean, he's, I can't even use the term world class because he's probably beyond that when it comes to his ability to take people down. So looking at this fight, I see that Holloway does have the ability to uh, keep distance and he has the ability to move early. I would go around around and a half that he will be able to employ that strategy, but I think it's just a matter of time between Margot Madoff gets this fight down to the ground and we see him impose his will as he always does. And I have him winning uh, via, mm, I'm going to go with a decision. I'm not going to go with uh, him taking uh, Holloway out, but I do believe he has the, the potential to do enough damage. I think Holloway has enough enough skill to win like two rounds, but the longer this fight goes, I, I and I'm not saying that Holloway doesn't have a great gas thing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying the the drain on you of fighting off takedown after takedown. I just don't think he has the uh, the ability to do that against Khabib for uh, five rounds. So that's where I want to go with the main event of UFC 223. Then we have the co-main event. And this is just as an intriguing fight to me. And it's intriguing for what's going on inside the cage and what's going on outside the cage. It's the rematch between Rose Nama Yunus and Joanna Yunjacek and for the women's strawweight title. This is this a lot of people are talking about how intriguing this fight is simply because of what occurred in the first and what's not occurring in the lead up to the second. We aren't seeing the same I don't want to say boastful or the same uh, I'll use the term threatening, the same type of threatening Joanna champion that we saw in the past because a lot of people are talking about she may have been humbled with the way she was finished and um, the last time he's too far. I mean, she tapped out the strikes in the first round. That's something that I'm sure no one picked that occurring and very probably even fewer people picked that to occur with her. So we saw that she lost and we saw that um, you know, it was just a bad situation for her overall. And in the lead up to this fight, she seemed like a different person. If you've been watching the media day, she's much more reserved. I don't want to say soft-spoken. That's not the right word. But I would stick with reserve in, in the way she's leading up to this fight. Um, I want to, And I'm not saying that Rose is being the opposite of what she is. She's being who she is. And I think uh, Ariel described her today as the fader of women's MMA, where she doesn't flinch. She just keeps the same stone-faced look, answers questions the same way, doesn't really get excitable. Or she, she isn't too excitable. She doesn't get too amped up in uh, these press uh, situations. And I think that's that's key because you see her, um, you see that play out with her calmness when she fights. She came out of their first fight as a huge winner, not just in the physical form of having the, the title around her, but just the message that she presented. So looking at that dynamic on how Joanna has changed or how her, I guess her personality 
uh, our personality leading leading up to the fight has changed since the, the last time they competed. That is a very interesting storyline because I wonder if she loses again, what what is she going to do? Is she going to go up to 125? Is she going to stick around with the rest of the division that she's basically dominated up to a point? Is she going to do that? Or is she going to go up to flyweight where there's a, uh, the potential of a fight against Valentina Shevchenko? There's a lot of new challenges there as well. I mean, that could be an, an intriguing output for her if she does um, if she does uh, lose and does not regain this title. And if she does win, I think there is a... Um, there's a compelling argument for a, a trilogy fight here. I don't think they go right back to it, but at the same time, these two aren't huge drawing stars, so I could see them being a solid co-main event uh, if this fight, if Nuana does win and they do decide to do a trilogy. But looking at this fight, um, first time around, man, I thought that I thought that a lot of it was going to be Nuana's ability to hit and move like I mean, to be honest with you I thought that to be honest with you I thought that um the story was going to be that uh Ioana was going to be able to keep this fight on the feet long enough to be able to basically pick Rose apart and score enough to get the win, but we saw the exact opposite. I mean, she had no control of range. It was Rose that was bouncing in and out of range and landing the shots that put this fight out of range. So you gotta wonder, like, was it really, did the weight cut drain her that much? Was she in that bad of straights where she was unable to physically be there she talked about the weight cut afterwards and i mean a lot of people gave her flack as if she was making excuses but you have to wonder how much that played a part in in their first fight looking at this one here i expect to see i expect to see the same Yuana that we've seen in the past and um you know her using her range using her volume to kind of rack up a lot of points and to rack up a lot of devastation early but i wonder the longevity of this fight what that looks like for her compared to Rose because we've seen Joanna get tired in the past and we've also seen her take a lot of damage I believe Luke Thomas has talked about this a lot that she's taken on a lot of wear and tear when she was champion I mean she went through five rounds with with Valerie Letourneau five rounds with Carolina Kowalskowitz five rounds with Claudia Gadelia then another three rounds with with Claudia as well she's gone through some tough. I think she went five rounds with Jessica Andrade. She's gone through some tough rounds. That's that's whole. That's a lot of work. If you think about the short amount of time she's been on top, so there is that question whether or not this has kind of caught up with her, and we're going to begin to see that um, if there's drop off. And I think that this is that is a very important narrative to watch for Saturday's fight because you got to wonder what does she look like uh, coming into the co-main event. You know, I. Again, we don't usually do a lot of picks here. Um, I usually put uh, Shawan on the spot and make him call out his picks, but since he's not here today, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to pick Rose to defend her title here. There's a she's I just feel like she's at a very special place right now where she has the ability to um, do enough to get this uh, to, to get this victory and keep this title. So I'm very interested in what she's going to do on Saturday night, and I think it'll be um, I think it'll be her to walk out with the women's uh, strawweight title. The next 
next piece we have is uh, Ron kind of, let me see, let me pull up the fight card actually. We have Renato Can uh, Carnerio and Calvin Cater. So this is an interesting fight for me from just from a grappling standpoint because um, Renato is a grappling ace. I mean, we've seen him do the damn thing uh, recently uh, across the board when it comes to uh, competitive grappling. Let me make sure for me. I'm sorry, that's the wrong dude. So, C-A-R-N. I think that, that this is a, this fight like, really doesn't kind of jump off the page to me. I wasn't too excited. I'm interested in seeing what Calvin looks like in his next fight since his last appearance back at, what was this, UFC? He fought at UFC 220. And um, that fight with Shane Burgos was definitely a, a, an exciting fight. I think they won fight of the night that evening. So I'm interested in seeing what his uh, continued development looks like. I mean, he's 18 and two. He's coming into his third octagon fight where he defeated Shane Burgos and he defeated uh, Andre Feely back at UFC 214. So let's see what we got here. We may have been, he may be developing into an uh, intriguing prospect at uh, 145. Let's see who else we have. Anthony Pettis and Michael Chiesa. Well, we don't know what's going to happen with this fight because Chiesa may be out. A cut to the face is actually is, is a, I think it's, a, it's an injury that's bad enough that he may be in danger of um, being cleared. But we have I've not seen or heard anything since the situation happened, so we'll have to see what goes there. But this is really a um, litmus test for Pettis uh, because you know we all we know who Showtime is. He he's the man that. I, many many people, including myself, I kind of deemed as like, yo, this guy's like the next big thing. I thought he was going to be something special. He, he won uh, the WEC title back in 2015, or no, excuse me, 2010. And from that point forward, he went on a hell of a run. Even though he lost to Clay Guida at um, in 2011, he won five straight fights that included Jeremy Stevens, Joe Lozon, Donald Cerrone, Benson Henderson, and Gilbert Melendez. If you if you told anyone else that a fighter would beat five guys at that time, of course, they would be considered the champion. But then you turn around and you look at what he's done since. I mean, he's dropped five of his last seven, losing to Rafael Dos Anjos, Eddie Alvarez, Edson Barbosa, Max Holloway, and Dustin Poirier. And He's defeated Jim Miller and Charles Oliveira, and in those five losses, he's been stopped his last two. One by um, TKO, kick to the body, and uh, the other was uh, Dustin Poirier's body triangle. So you have to wonder if there's some lingering issues there. But, you know, we're going to really see what Pettis is made of. He's still relatively young. Um, I Even if he loses this fight... Uh, it's hard to say whether or not he stays with the organization because he has he has that type of look. He has that fighting style that the ownership is definitely appreciating right now. So you got to wonder what they do with him in that sake if he is defeated. On the other side, you have um, Kiesa, who's also coming off a loss. He was he had that controversial controversial loss to Kevin Lee early uh, excuse me in June of last year, and I. Thinking back to it, I believe he was winning that fight before that whole um, phantom tap occurred. But if you look at some of his um, 
recent losses. He has that one. Then he has the doctor stoppage to Joe Lozon, another fight where he was winning before he was badly cut. So we could be talking about Kiesa in a totally different fashion if it wasn't for two bad um, losses. But his run within the UFC includes Colton, wins over Colton Smith, Francisco Trinaldo, Mitch Clark, Jim Miller, and Benil Dariush. So this fight against uh, Pettis is, is has the potential to be his biggest win to date if he can pull it off. Man, what I th- and I'm going to be honest, I cannot have much faith in Anthony Pettis because what we've seen recently, he just has not looked like that same guy that has that dispatched so many people in the past. He does not look like the the same type of dynamic. I don't know if it's, if it's he's a little gun shy and afraid of taking those big risks, or if he's not as durable as he once was. But is there something that is amiss that is keeping him from being showtime, for lack of a better term? And we're gonna see what uh, what's next for him, what phase he is in when he fights on Saturday. Because if he loses to Kiesa, I think he is in a very precarious position because we've seen him try to cut down to 145 and it put him in a bad straight. So in the UFC, like I said, I think he has enough of what the UFC looks like and looks for in fighters now that they keep him around. But you have to be concerned with where he is um, at this point in time because he just, he doesn't look like the same type of guy. He doesn't look like the same type of fighter that's out here doing Showtime kicks. For Kiesa, this could be his biggest win. I don't think it puts him into immediate title um, title contention, but I definitely think it pushes him into the uh, top 10. Let me see where he's currently ranked. Um, he is... Let's see. Let's see where Michael Kiesa is ranked at 155. Right now, he is sitting in... Dude, he's not even. Oh, he's he's ranked number nine, and Anthony Pettis is ranked number twelve. So, again, this is a this is this is an important fight for Kessa. Even though he's fighting down in the ratings, I think it puts him into a, a position to maybe he can say, "Hey, look at the Dustin Poirier Justin Justin Gaethje fight. Is that a fight where he can take the winner, or do we look at him for Kevin Lee Edson Barbosa and put that rematch together if Kevin Lee wins or gives Edson Barbosa another fight?" Option. So there's a lot of different ways that, that you can go with uh, Kesa if he picks up the victory here on Saturday. Next fight, this one, Raging Al Iaquinta. Um, Project Spearhead uh, member, home salesman by day, and mixed martial artist by night, fighting UFC uh, commentary and interview man Paul Felder. I'm looking forward to this one here because this is this this is one of those all violence team fights that Jordan Breen used to talk about back in the days of, of Sure Dog and um sad news if you're unaware, but Jordan Breen is no longer with that organization. That's a whole nother conversation for another day. But um I Quinton Felder has the it has the potential to be a um a show stealer because neither one of these guys go backwards, neither one of these guys are shy about getting it in their opponent's face and scrapping on both the feet and the floor. But I think that this is a fight that kind of lends itself for more stand-up action. Looking at it, man, I, I just I think that I'm looking at Felder as if like he's always been right on the cusp of someone who can break through to uh, contention. He's been right there, he's been right there, and, and he keeps kind of like missing out. And if you look back, um, 
I want to say the first time that occurred was, let's see when that fight was. Give me a second. Here, when he fought back at, who was it they lost that split decision to? The Edson Barbosa and Ross Pearson fights back to back. He looked like something was just off. And like he was right at the point, right at, right at the tip of being a true contender. And when you look at his track record, he's struggled against the upper echelon within a division. Then he defeated Charles Oliveira in December of last year. And it's almost like, huh, has he finally turned the corner? Because he was in a very bad spot against Oliveira early, came out in the second round, and got the finish. So in Iaquinta, he has another dangerous threat, someone who can fight just about anywhere. Let's see where these guys, I don't think either one of them are ranked right now. No, Al Iaquinta is ranked number 11. And he is coming off of, let's see when he last competed. When he defeated Diego Sanchez in April of last year. And that's after a two-year layoff from when he uh, stepped away from the, uh, the, the fight game. So... I'm leaning towards Felder here, and I think that his he is, is very a technical fighter, but you have to wonder just how well he's going to do against the upper echelon uh, competitors. And this is one where this, this is a test for him. This is a litmus test, as some people will say, because if he can get the job done here, he's in a very good position to kind of uh, begin navigating his way back into the top 15 at 155 pounds. But if he loses here, we have to kind of begin wondering where where is his ceiling like have we seen it already or is he someone that's going to continue to rise up to get bubbled back down like a matt brown or so like i guess is he someone along those lines but even matt brown saw more long-term uh success so this is another fight man that just jumps off the page and is um really exciting to me there the other women's fight of the evening carolina kawaskowitz against fleece herrick this is a big fight here it's a big fight because Herrick has been on a run under the radar that has really just kind of gone off and like not really been paid attention to. She's currently ranked number eight at women's straw rate. I think she could be ranked even higher than that, but she has defeated four women straight and she had that tough uh, fight against Paige Van Zandt, but she's gotten four very solid wins since 2016 and I think and it's a wonder on whether or not she's going to kind of push through to the uh, top of the division I mean you remember Herrick's been doing this for a very long time she's a pioneer and even though you know people have her their issues with the way she kind of characterized herself early in, in her industry or early in her career she is uh, definitely someone worth recognition in the in the UFC strawweight division But she has a um, tough test with Double K on Saturday. Carolina is someone who I really wonder if she was pushed too fast the first time she came around because you remember she had that split decision win against uh, Rose uh, Nama Yunus at UFC 201, and then she's immediately thrown into the title picture. You know, I am a big believer that the UFC likes to have a certain type of woman look a certain way as their champion. I think that's why they tried to throw um, Carolina in there and they threw her in against Joanna and then followed that up with Cladelia, which is two tough back-to-back -back fights and she lost both of those fights. And then when they bumped her back down in, uh, I guess, 
quality of opponents at UFC Fight Night 118, she was able to get the win. But what's important here is like, the question is, is Herrig, is she the same type of competitor that that deserves to be in a conversation with Gadelia and John Jacek? Is she of that upper echelon or is she not? I mean, yeah, she's ranked top 10 and I find it a little bit questionable that she's behind like a Michelle Watterson. She's behind a Carla Esparza. I think she could be ranked above them and maybe be close to the top five, uh, maybe five, six. But we're going to really see on, on um, Saturday, especially, you know, Carolina Kowalski, which is ranked four. So if Harriet gets a win here, this really kind of puts her in a better position to begin talking her way into some title fights, which I think that she definitely needs right about now. This is an, an, an intriguing fight to me. Um, I think Harriet has the experience to be able to walk um, – walk her down and be able to get a uh like a just a, a ugly decision of victory um carolina does not go away she does not wilt and i just think that that's like while that plays into her favor i don't think that um she has enough experience to be able to uh defeat be able to defeat um, Felice Herrick. Let's see. Who else do we have here? Who else do I wanted to talk about? We got Glossberg and Herrick. What else stands out? Uh, let's see. Let's pull the card back up. Um, I'm always excited to see my boy Joe, uh, Joe Lozon fight. We got Ray Borg and Brandon Moreno. That should be another good one. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I said so. We have Becca Rollins and Ashley Evans-Smith. That's another uh, pretty good fight. Is I beat Maga, Maga Med-Sharapovov. Maga Med-Sharapov. There you go. Is I beat Maga Med-Sharapov. He is, you know, a hot prospect that's been blowing up the rankings. And he's the opening fight. So we're going to see... If this guy is is the is the truth, a lot of people already think he is. The Ricardo Almeida standout has looked fantastic. So let's see it, what his continued growth looks like. This is his third UFC um, fight. He's uh, finished both men via uh, submission in 2017. So let's see what he looks like in his first fight of 2018. But that's all I really wanted to talk about within UFC 223. Because as I mentioned, we have a kind of a lot to talk about tonight. And the next thing I wanted to, to, to kind of touch upon was uh, ben, Benson Henderson, Roger Huerta at Bellator 196 tomorrow night. When this fight was announced, it got me excited. I'm not even going to lie. Just from a nostalgia standpoint, you know, Huerta was that dude. He was the first guy to be on Sports Illustrated. He was, he was you know, he was going to be that uh, star that brought in the Mexican demographic. But he just fell apart. I think he dropped four straight fights in the UFC before being cut. Let me look real quick. He dropped two, actually two straight fights to Kenny Florian and Gray Maynard. And then he was um, cut from the UFC. He went to Bellator, fought one fight against Chad Henson, and then went on a four-fight losing streak where he lost to Pat Curran, Eddie Alvarez, and then he lost to War Machine, outside of Bellator, and then he went to 1FC where he started losing there. I mean, he's been struggling over the last, since 2010, he's won two fights, three fights, 
and lost six. And he's really gambling on himself. I think what, what makes this much more um, interesting is that he signed a one-fight deal with Bellator to take this fight and kind of see what's next, see if he deserves the opportunity to come back to the organization. And I, and I like that. You know, you gamble on yourself. You take that. And the organization kind of gambles on you as well, too. And I like this fight against Benson Henderson. I'm not, I am not counting Huerta out in any stance because Benson hasn't looked like the same guy like he was when he when he left the UFC. When he left the UFC, you know, he was on the uptick in welterweight. He was uh, fighting a lot of tough fights. He had just defeated Brandon Thatch. He had defeated Jorge Masvidal. When you look back at that, you're like, man, those that that Masvidal fight is a is a is a good win. But when he comes into Bellator, I mean, he has that tough out against Andre Koreshkov. Okay, Koreshkov was a big guy. Um, we're not going to hold that really against him. But then he has a fight against Patrico Friere, where he wins. But it was a questionable win because Freer had that leg injury. He was losing the fight up to that point. Then he had that good fight against Michael Chandler. He lost via split decision. Then he fights the other Pitbull brother, Patricky Freer, and he loses that via uh, split decision. So you may you may begin to wonder if Bellator is kind of wondering what they got for their money here. Because he hasn't looked it's like the same type of guy who went on the... Um, the streak of wins, two wins against Frank Yeager, win against Nate Diaz, defeating Gilbert Melendez, defeating Clay Guida, Jim Miller. Um, he beat, then he beat Josh Thompson in there too. Yeah, he, he defeated Josh Thompson as well. He didn't look like that um, same, he hasn't looked like that same type of fighter. So we're going to see what uh, this really kind of looks like here. But I'm intrigued by this fight just for the nostalgia purposes. I think I'm going to turn in, tune in tomorrow, and kind of catch that action. And I think it's just a good fight to kind of get the long weekend of combat sports underway. Well, with that in mind, I'm going to turn turn to some of the news pieces. Where first and foremost, you know, I want to talk about Brock Lesnar coming back. And it's funny because the term, the word that Brock Lesnar or not Brock Lesnar that uh, Dana White said that his comeback chances were very 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 good and then he went on ufc tonight that says yeah brock lesnar's coming back i don't know when but yes he is and this is this is i mean this is almost uh spoiler territory because you know lesnar set the goal against roman reigns at wrestlemania 34 on sunday this is a massive monument situation the same thing kind of occurred last time lesnar's uh contract was up with the WWE where it ran all the way up to WrestleMania. I think it was the last one where he uh, defeated Goldberg and it was um it was there was a lot of question on whether or not he would go back to the UFC. He eventually did. They found a way to make a deal for him um to go back and face Mark Hunt, but we find ourselves in a similar similar situation. And even with the narrative that's coming off from the WWE standpoint is that uh Lesnar's leaving and he's going to UFC. But as always, you know they send swerves our way every single week. So we just never know what really is going to happen to that. I just find that this is kind of interesting that Dana White made these comments. I wonder if uh, if there is some type of collusion to use a a popular term for today or if this is, this is just more smoke being blown up our asses. I think it is, it is a good pick up for the UFC if he does come back because, I mean, he's a draw. McGregor, Rousey, 
Lesnar in that order, in my opinion, are, are I mean, I'm not sure what the numbers are between Lesnar and Rousey, but you know, they they need they need as million million as many million by pay per view events that they can get, and including Brock Lesnar or any of them is a way to head in that direction. So, you know, I'm interested in seeing what's next if they bring him back. What does the USADA situation look like? Because he has to enter that pool again. Remember, he's still he was suspended um, after his uh, failed drug test when he defeated Mark Hunt. I think he still has like six months on that uh, suspension. So there's that matter that needs to be dealt with. So um, that's that's another conversation point in within its own self. But that news broke uh, this past week with the official confirmation supposedly coming out yesterday. Then we have the CM Punk situation that I mentioned earlier. And I mean, again, this is, I wonder if he's doing this, releasing these stories during WrestleMania week on purpose to kind of catch some of the, catch some of the hype that's going on around WrestleMania, kind of using that to draw some attention toward the UFC. It would be a smart marketing tactic because everyone, I mean, CM Punk's name is going to be popping up this week just from a WrestleMania standpoint where he may be mentioned there or people may be wondering if he's coming back, et cetera, et cetera. But he's made it well clear that his intentions are to fight again. So we see this uh, story developing. And I mean, A, I don't, I really don't care see if he's going to be added back to the um, UFC roster. I don't, I really don't, I'm going to watch, you know, Mike Jackson is a guy who, I mean, I guess he, he can defeat. He's supposedly been training hard in the gym. All the other AKA guys have been talking about how hard he's been uh, training. Or excuse me, I guess AKA, all, all the other guys have been talking about, the Rufus Sport guys have been talking about how he's been um, training. So we're going to see what he Looks like, as always, it's going to be the question of time off. He's been off for so long. He's had to deal with so many injuries. He's older. You know, this is, MMA is a young man's game. We've seen that time and time again. Mike Jackson isn't much younger. He's like 33, and he's not a full-time fighter, so you got to wonder what he's going to look like. But they're in Chicago. WWE can't go back to Chicago with without some type of CM Punk champ breaking out. So you know his fans are, are, are going to be there in uh, droves. So it'll be interesting to see what type of draw he is for that fight. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. I also wanted to talk about the TJ Dillashaw-Cody Garbrandt rematch has been set for UFC 227. So I guess, I mean, we could we could trust Dana White's statement that the Demetrius Johnson fight with TJ Dillashaw's ex is finally off. Um, I actually wanted, it finally got me around to wanting to see that fight. It's unfortunate that we get to see this fight run back already because, I mean, Garbrandt, he didn't do anything to do. I mean, he earned the, the, the title. He hasn't fought since. So you've got to wonder, like, this frequent rematch cycle, like, what else could they have done with Bantamweight? Looking at the rankings here... I mean, you have Cody Garbrandt at number one, Dominic Cruz at two, who hasn't fought since his loss to Cody Garbrandt, Rafael Sunsau, who I believe he, him and TJ are one and one over each other, but Sunsau has not fought. Since let me see, I think his last fight was a victory. 
I mean, he's on a three-fight win streak, and he fought in November. Yeah, that was when he got the finish. So, you got to wonder, like, what do they plan on doing with him? Then they have Marlon Morales at uh, five, Jimmy Rivera at four. Those two guys are fighting in – they are fighting in uh, about two months at UFC Fight Night 131. So those two guys are, are, are tied up. I just think that they could have – I wonder what was the hindrance – from getting a fight between um, Dillashaw and Johnson, I think that would that's what would have been best for both divisions right now because you could have, if nothing else, you could have put uh, a Sunset and Garbrandt against each other, let them fight it out for the number one um, contendership. Um, Henry Cejudo is supposedly uh, the next guy in line for Demetrius Johnson, but there's other things you could have done within that division. Joseph Benavidez is still number, ranked number one, um, the number one contender, even though he's already lost twice. So there's some options you can kind of, they could have played with there to keep the divisions flowing while pitting the Johnson and Dillashaw against each other. It's probably, I guarantee you it's probably like a money thing. And we know how UFC is about uh, paying their fighters. Dana White can fly in snow to his kids on, um, during the during the winter time, so they can play in the snow, but these fighters can't get paid what uh, they are asking for for a big money fight. So, I mean, you know how I feel about that. If you listen to the show, I I think that these guys are are getting screwed over when it comes to the key component of their careers because they are prize fighters. You know, fans tend to forget that they are prize fighters first and foremost. So that's where we are with that. But I mean, those are. That's really what's going on this week, man. It's been a crazy-ass week, crazy-ass past couple days, and it's not over yet. We have – we still got to see if Kabi Magomedov is going to make weight tomorrow. We got to see if Max Holloway is going to make weight. That's a whole, That can throw a whole nother wrench into UFC 223, which was the UFC's first big event of 2018, and they need this to go off. They need this to go off well. They need this to be a huge, huge um, showcase. I mean, to be honest with you, I feel like this had the potential to do – close to a million buys without all this um, chicanery before Ann Ferguson and Margo Madoff could have done close to six, 800 buys, maybe even a, a little more. So, I mean, we're, we're just about to see what, what this, uh, what the showcase is left, what, ha- what it has left now that so much change has gone on. Then, of course, I mean, also on Saturday, I'm going to be watching two screens, but we have NXT TakeOver on, on Saturday. If you don't like me talking about wrestling, you can go F yourself because I'm going to talk about it. It's it's, it's, it's great. Um, it was my segue into combat sports. You got WrestleMania on Sunday, Bellator 196 on Saturday. So we have so much to uh, kind of look back at. We're going to be talking about next week when I get um, Schwann back on. Um, and stay tuned. I may be doing something special for WrestleMania on Sunday as well. And you'll see that and you'll see news about that on my Twitter feed potentially in the next couple of days. But with that in mind, be sure to follow me at R Garcia Sports, where I talk about MMA, football, basketball. We got the NBA playoffs um, kicking off in a couple weeks. Next week, we have so much really to talk about across all all the sports. Um, yeah, you'll find my work there. Working on something for um, ratings tonight and probably football tonight. I have more content coming out 
throughout the week. So just be sure to kind of keep your eye on everything that I do. And as always, follow Shawan at Black Jordan Green. He's one of the best voices from a tactical standpoint in the game. I love having him on the show. He'll be back next week. Hit the like and subscribe button for MMA ratings as always. And again, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to our content. So check us out each and every day. And we hope you will be back next week. And as we inch closer to episode 100, I'm working on something special for you guys. Thanks, everyone, and have a great night.